you know, just common hiker knowledge about certain areas. And I was like hiding from it. I really just wanted to be surprised in the moment. <laughs> and I mean, that also meant that I try not to look at gut hook that much because I wanted to just focus on the trail. And if there was a moment on the trail where it you could go one way or possibly another. I wanted to stop and think about what each part of the trail looked like, whether one was maybe slightly more clear. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I get to pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things through hiking, the triumphs and challenges, and oh, those lessons learned. And today's guest is Good Flow, known off-trail as Eliza Goldberg. She purposely planned not to plan her 2019 through-hike of the PCT, wanting to experience the trail as she found it. In this episode, We talk about how she managed the overwhelming idea of 2,650 miles, the struggle to stay on schedule when the weather wouldn't cooperate, exit strategies, her very own pit toilet story, and why Old Station means so much. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Good Flow. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. How I, this wasn't exactly how I planned to start it off, but I was just literally looking at my cheat sheet here, and the thing that all of a sudden stuck out to me was good flow. Yeah, and I was like, where, why, what, who, how? <laughs> it is a reference to Gut Hook, uh, the the navigation app. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a trail name for a very long time, partially because I was hiking with people that I knew. So they just called me by my name and that was bad. <laughs> and it was something that I was actually, it was upsetting to me that I didn't have a trail name. I was complaining about it and I would even brainstorm with my boyfriend possible trail names. I We had a running list But anytime that we passed a really good river or um, even a waterfall on those really good days, I would literally say, oh, good flow. And I would get really excited and take out my Sawyer squeeze because one of the things that was incredibly frustrating for me was when there was not good flow and there was just a little trickle and I had to crouch down and just wait and as my my uh, water bladder would fill and my calves would start cramping and I'm <laughs> just such a small thing but I mean water is important <laughs> so yeah it was just one of those simple pleasures of oh this it's not going to take it's a, a long time for me to filter my water Uh, So, I mean, that was just one of several um, trail name possibilities, but it kind of 
And it ended up sticking because I just, I felt like it, it could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So it had this sort of Zen carefree uh, aspect to it that I really liked, but then also, I mean, everyone is obsessed with gut hooks, so they would also understand um, that too. Yeah, I can almost see it being said like a surfer dude, exactly you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some people asked me why it wasn't go with the flow, which. I don't know. It was too many words, but I, I do kind of, that has a nice trail attitude also just, yeah, just going with the flow. Yeah. But, but you have to admit that, you know, good flow or good flow. Yeah. <laughs> or, Cause it's basically like, it's either good flow or not good flow. Yes, or down to a trickle. That's that's the that other the other one. Gut hook. I mean, that that wasn't a potential trail name for me. That would be bizarre. Although, hey, maybe I would have taken that down to a trickle. Uh, but yeah, those were the three uh, possibilities on the gut hook app. It was either good flow, not good flow, and down to a trickle, or just no water anymore. It's dry. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to picture the person who could have a trail name of down to a trickle. <laughs> I would not be surprised if someone does have that name. Uh, yeah, I remember when we were in the desert, we were calling ourselves, just me and my, my tiny posse, we were, we were calling ourselves um, creek creatures because we would really just plan our entire day around our water sources. So Water was really top of mind all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was really important in your life for about, what, five or six months? Yeah, exactly. Um, it was something that I actually was not as concerned as a lot of people that I passed. There were some people, there was one stretch, I think it's a 30-mile stretch without water, and we were passing people with you know, like seven or eight liters of water in their bag. And I was just like, I would rather just get dehydrated. Thank you. <laughs> so I had a very blasé attitude towards dehydration. <laughs> was that because of the weight for carrying it because of the inconvenience of having to fill them all? Oh, that's something it was it's the former, but I didn't even think of the latter. <laughs> I just, you know, I was thinking about your whole story about the cramping calves and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's Water is just incredibly heavy, so I would try and carry as little as possible. I mean, I wasn't one of those ultralight backpackers where I was really conservative about my weight, but it was just so obvious to me when I had two liters versus three liters um, versus God forbid, four liters. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I definitely tried to keep the water down. Did you end up carrying God forbid, four liters in the desert? I don't remember. <laughs> it's possible. I, I feel like I, probably carried four liters at some point. I don't know if it was in the desert section. Um, oddly enough, the desert was pretty abundant with water. <laughs> I yeah. think I just lucked out. Uh, I hiked in 2019. And it was a good water year. 
good and bad because there was also just a lot of precipitation and it completely screwed everything up. <laughs> but at least at the beginning, it was uh, it was pleasant that there was a lot there was a lot of good flow. Yeah, there there was water coming at you from all directions at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean not not initially. I started uh, early April, so uh, it basically there were storms from late May for a, a long time. Uh, so there was a, a month, almost two months of, of bliss. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, living in LA, you know, we see the storms coming through, particularly in this section of, of the trail. And I just remember it was like every week there would be a major storm coming through that year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it got to the point where I was checking the NOAA maps. They map out snow falls, snow, um, coverage, how many inches in certain parts of the country, uh, which was not something I ever expected that I would be doing. You became a meteorologist. Exactly. (laughs) Now, when you were talking about so desperately wanting to get your trail name, did the rest of your tramley have a trail name, have trail names at that point? No. uh, Nobody did. No. So I, I mainly just was with uh, my boyfriend and his friend. His friend okay. never got a trail name. We, we sort of would joke about trail names for him, um, but it was nothing really stuck. I mean, by jokes, I mean that someone would ask him his name and he would say his real name. And that wouldn't be acceptable. <laughs> They'd be like, no, no, no. But like, what's your name on the trail? And he'd be like, it's still Michael. That's the name that I was given. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we would occasionally just basically joke around and come up with the worst possible names for him. Um, but it was basically just Michael. And then uh, my boyfriend got the trail name Tiny Dancer. But that was also pretty late in the game. I'm tr- trying to remember. I I would. Pro- it's probably around July where he got his. Oh tra- wow! Yeah, and I, I had a, a tramley for a very short period of time, and I just called them Brooke and Toby, and they didn't have trail names until after we we parted ways. I I could totally see kind of segueing back. I could totally see Michael's trail name being still Michael. <laughs> I'm just still Michael. It's just funny that that wasn't acceptable. (laughs) Uh, People would get upset that he stuck with his real name. It was, it bordered on the absurd. Uh, You know, I would set up camp and we would be in a little circle and there would be five seven people and they would all be introducing themselves and all the names would just be so ridiculous that I couldn't I could remember the names but I couldn't pair it to the people (laughs) every it was just um a never-ending list of uh it was like rampage spice dirt bag uh bear box it just none of it (laughs) It was 
I mean, it's, it's a great tradition, but it's, um, when you take a step back, it was just something that, that we would sometimes chuckle about. Once you got it, did you basically then just introduce yourself as good flow? Yes. Once you accepted it, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I, when someone would ask me my trail, I mean, this was just on the trail, I would mm-hmm. say good flow. And then my boyfriend would say tiny dancer, but it wasn't like, when it was just me and him and I was calling him, I wouldn't be like, Hey, tiny dancer, <laughs> TD. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just picturing in my head, you yelling across the camp. Hey, tiny dancer. <laughs> I have visual that name. So he gave me good flow, but another hiker that we hiked with for uh, almost a week, I would say shuffles she gave him the the trail name Tiny Dancer. Okay, I I just have to ask, where did that come from? He would wear these uh, kind of steampunk glacier sunglasses, um, and they reminded her of Elton John. Okay. Please tell me he's also like six foot four and... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's around six foot um that'll do it (laughs) now you guys when you went onto the trail did you think you were going to be jumping around as much as you did or was that sort of an on the trail decisions as it was as it was happening I we didn't plan well I'll begin with we just didn't plan we didn't plan at all anything ever uh at at anything period like (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it was something that was in the back of my mind because when we started in April it was already really snowy in the Sierras so it was something that I had considered we hadn't really discussed it um I thought that potentially we would split up and then reconvene or something. I mean, I, I basically had split the trail up into so many pieces because 2,650 miles just broke my brain. (laughs) So I, I had given myself to Kennedy Meadows and if that was it for me, that would have been perfectly fine. Uh, now, when you say you gave yourself to Kennedy Meadows, was that about the snow or was that about you saying, I have until Kennedy Meadows to figure out if I love this or? Oh, just I, I just because I was breaking up the trail. I mean, when ah. I first started, when I first started, I was actually breaking up the trail into 5Ks because 5Ks? 5Ks? Yeah, so a lot of math going on every single day where I was like, all right, another another 5K down. Um, so it, after that became slightly unrealistic, I then uh, set my sights on something slightly larger than that. But I mean, I milestones were important to not just me but a lot of people like I would pass people having like little dance parties around the mile markers um 
people would be. I, I remember uh, like 300, 400, 500 people would make their own markers. Uh, either maybe their GPS was a little off or they just felt like they needed to add their own touch uh, with their own numbers. Um, but it was it was pretty remarkable to pass just clusters of the same number. <laughs> um, I remember someone had put in pine cones 400, like 401.1 or something like that, uh, which was exactly the type of humor I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> that, that fulfilled your 5k requirements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, 5k was just something that my body record, like I run 5Ks and it's not a big deal to me. It's something that doesn't scare me. To me, I think of 5K and I think of like, you know, around 30 minutes. Uh, I mean, obviously that's without a backpack and when I'm just running, but it just was an easy number for me. But again, I that did not last very long. But um Going back to your actual question, <laughs> we, <laughs> we quickly decided to flip. It was a matter of hours. Um, we were in Tehachapi, so not even at Kennedy Meadows, which right. really was grating to me because I basically said, all you, have, all you gotta do is just get to Kennedy Meadows and then that will be like your personal mark of success. And if you go further, then that's amazing. But if not, you know, I'm satisfied with, with up to Kennedy Meadows. But then we, we flipped Didn't even get there. Kennedy Meadows. And so I had to completely reassess all these milestones. But um, so what happened was that coming into Kennedy Meadows, that was the first part of the storm. There were insane winds. I thought we were going to get knocked off the mountain. Um, it was the, the rain isn't too problematic, but when it's combined with wind, it's really hard to see. And so it was just, it was, yeah, it was miserable. Like we couldn't, I felt like I couldn't stop to pee <laughs> because it was just, it was like a hurricane. Um, so it was it was just not good conditions to be hiking in. And it, when we got to Tehachapi, it, we basically were in this bottleneck where everyone was there waiting out the storm, which sounds fun, but it wasn't because it was just um, this snowball of anxiety. And sometimes people would decide to slack pack for a couple of miles and then they'd come back and it would be like they had just been to war and they're like guys don't go out there uh so the image that i have in my head when you say that is um i don't know if you watched the hateful eight but that the storm that comes oh, in yeah. there and that poor guy has got to go out to the to the outhouse and come back through and yeah that's like what in my head what I'm picturing it was just it was too much drama and there were wonderful trail angels who were opening their doors to hikers but basically hikers were just piling in and so there would be hikers sleeping like 
sleeping bag to sleeping bag all over people's living room floors. And really, we just we spent the night and then the next day we rented a car and left. (laughs) Uh, And I'm glad that we had agreed on that. Um, Unfortunately, it meant leaving the our little tramley of uh, Brooke and Toby behind. We, We really tried to convince them to come with us. But did they make it all the way straight through or did they also then end up flipping later? Neither of them flipped, but uh, Toby made it all the way through. Um, Brooke didn't uh, due to injury. But yeah, I mean, we I, I kept in touch with them while we were both hiking. There were a couple of times that we would video chat from our different hostels <laughs> Uh, and we, we thought it could be possible to actually meet up on the trail again. Um, but it, it just didn't end up working out. Yeah. And when you guys hopped in that car and you headed North. Yes. To Ashland. Yeah. To a storm, to snow, to. (laughs) Yeah. Back to a hostel where it was the same drama of people trying and then coming back and saying, don't go out there. And it was, it's in hindsight, it's obviously completely overblown. I mean, this is hiking. It's, it's gonna be okay. (laughs) But I mean, when that becomes the thing that you do every day without weekends, without any sort of break uh, for the entire day, when that suddenly comes to a halt and it's out of your control, that's just what ends up happening. Hikers get anxious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I not doing it? Yeah, exactly. And it was, I mean, there was just so much uncertainty. We didn't know how long these storms were going to last. It was also just frustrating because it wasn't until you were on the trail that you knew whether or not conditions were, uh, were safe. So it was, we basically had to err on the side of caution, um, especially because me and my boyfriend didn't have those in-reach devices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually there is no cell service. Um, so we we didn't get them because we figured, you know, we have each other. That's safe. But uh, <laughs> when you're both in the Little same farm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because you guys went, you got to Ashland and you went out and then decided that it was it was too much. Came back in, waited out the storm. And then went back out again. And I mean, it's better at that point, but it's still cold, heavy snow, and a little stormy, it looked like. Yeah, so there was a lot of snow still. And I think if initially we had started up Mount Ashland, and there was just a lot of snow, we would have kept pushing. But the fact that it was snowing down on us just meant that obviously when there's snow you can't see the trail at all and because we were we had flipped it wasn't like there were other hikers around so there wasn't a a well-established trail through the snow uh like I saw uh in the Sierra 
but Mm -hmm. because it was snowing down on us, we couldn't really navigate either. So we were constantly getting lost. We would see footprints and get really excited thinking that this was a path that we could follow before we realized that the footprints were ours. (laughs) We were (laughs) going in circles. (laughs) So that was that was why we made the difficult decision to turn back because we just literally were not getting anywhere. (laughs) So what was that conversation like when you realized that those footprints are just your footprints? Um, I. And how did you realize that they were your footprints? Oh, that's a great question. I. I don't know. I guess we we must have just followed it and then recognized some sort of you know landmark in the trees or something and realized that we had been there before and if we had been there before that must mean that those were our footprints (laughs) we when we decided to turn back it was the following day and there was a point when we we had noticed that there was um, a shelter that we could get to off the trail and as we were backtracking, we realized that we could still see our footprints. We realized that if we had only just gone to the shelter initially, instead of feeling like we had to forge ahead, um, perhaps the outcome would have been different. (laughs) But I mean, there's, there's no real problem with (laughs) turning back. (laughs) And that's the only time we, we ever did. And Yeah, I mean, I just felt much more assured that we waited out the storm for several days um, and we were able to just keep pushing, even though there was obviously still snow on the ground. Yeah, but it it gave you the opportunity to have your own pit toilet story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are those are classic stories. Yeah, I mean, we were prepared to sleep in the pit toilet and just wait out the storm for however many days. <laughs> but but um, yeah, it just, it was not what we, I don't know what we possibly could have, ex- it's not like we had planned for it. We just saw the pit toilet and we're like, all right, let's go there. It's, there's a door, there are four walls. That's all we need. <laughs> uh, it's a win. Yeah. Yeah. We were so excited at first. Um, and we figured we would just dry all of our things and then, you know, the storm would be over. We would emerge from this toilet and everything would be better. (laughs) But, um, yeah, basically I reached out on the trail angel Facebook community and explained the, the situation, um, just because I, happened to get self-service in the toilet (laughs) one of the rare times that I had um self-service and someone just said I'm I'm coming right now I hope you see this message because I'm coming regardless (laughs) but that was incredibly kind now I want to go down two avenues with that the first one though is like when you when you said you guys saw the the pit toilet and you were like, yay, we've got four walls, we've got a door. And you said it was a win Mm -hmm. at the beginning. 
but you stopped thinking of it as a win at some point. Um, it was basically just not as warm as I thought uh, it would be because I guess this is a good thing because there's an air vent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we ba- like we blew up our, our sleeping pads. We got into our sleeping bags. Um, I was playing my audio book out loud, which unfortunately was um, Howard Zinn's book on American history. <laughs> and my boyfriend was facing the toilet itself. And then I was up against the wall and that's where the, the vent was. So I was still shivering and that was making me nervous. Um, especially because I didn't know how long we would be trapped in this toilet. <laughs> so that, that was, that was the reason it, um, just didn't feel as much of as much comfort as I was expecting. Damn those air vents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it made it a more overall pleasant experience. It wasn't really smelly in there. Yeah. Well, and that probably had just as much to do with the fact that it was so cold. Everything was frozen. Yeah. And because it was the off season. So no one had really even been in that area for so many, yeah. which was also part of our issue because uh once we realized the extent of the snowfall and how much snow we were going to continue to encounter we wanted to get ice axes but because it was the off season it was early june no one was selling them yet so we would go into so many different stores anytime we were in town ask if they had uh warm gear and ice axes and uh they were still they were basically not just starting their summer season (laughs) right which means that they would have had summer stuff as opposed to essentially winter stuff right yeah (laughs) yeah i can i can picture you walking in there and we're looking for uh cold weather gear and ice axes and they're like you realize it's June, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, once we got down Mount Ashland, that initial time that we were just discussing, uh, it was warm and sunny down in Ashland. And we were trying to explain that we had just gotten stuck in a snowstorm and it, we just sounded ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then I got ice cream. So. <laughs> That seems very ironic. <laughs> Definitely. It just, I mean, it just was uh, a good indicator of, of the, just the contrast between trail life and off trail life. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, and then circling back to the second part of my question or the second question relating to your pit toilet story. So you found a trail angel and they were going to come get, was the, tra- was the pit toilet in like a, a park by a big parking lot or like, how were they going to get to you and, and, or then you get to them? We had to walk to them. Um, but just knowing that there was someone there, um, helped us to just keep pushing. So there was a road that I was not aware of. Um, it was a fire road. So it was 
much higher than the trail and also paved. So even though it was still covered in snow, it was much easier to walk on because I wasn't post-holing. I didn't have to worry about whether or not uh, there were just rocks underneath because that's that's the worst with post-holing when you fall through and your feet don't even touch anything (laughs) and you just have to use your arms to get yourself out but that did not happen on this fire road so we were able to just quickly walk five miles and and meet him at basically where the the barrier of the end of the fire road was oh okay okay so it was kind of a it was kind of a win-win win (laughs) moving from pit toilet to fire road to trail angel car Yes, it was just, uh, we were disappointed because we felt like we just were continually wasting time. Uh, there, this constant race against time with any through hike, really. And we had this added difficulty that um, my boyfriend was on a six-month visa so we <laughs> we had to finish this preferably before the exact six month mark uh, so that we could you know shower, get everything together before we had to <laughs> run to catch our flights. Uh, and so this was just it basically it the lost time meant that we had to catch it up and we did feel that pressure when we were back on trail, so we started waking up much earlier, um, pushing more, feeling like we could no longer make excuses, basically. (laughs) Um, we, I mean, there were just months where we didn't take a zero day. There was just no break at all because we, we felt like, you know, we had all these quote break days in a row, uh, where we were just waiting out the storm. And so we just had to really just keep pushing on. Your your zeros became Nero's? Yeah, uh, not even. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah, we just, we really wanted to be um, just on the trail uh, as often as we could. Um, so we would just try and time. I mean, obviously this wasn't, it's not a perfect system. You can't really always time things, but we would try and time it so that we would get into a trail in the afternoon get everything that we needed by let's say 3 (laughs) p.m we would i mean first we would have lunch of course and then we would just keep going did that wear on you after a while uh most likely trying to remember (laughs) i would say so i mean i when we were leaving Ashland the second time to go back on Mount Ashland to the scene of the crime, so to speak. Uh, I fell so many times Mm. and um, it happens so fast on snow. You're just up one second down the next. So there was no, I mean, sometimes I I wouldn't even realize that I had fallen until I was just on the ground. (laughs) So you were Logically, I would assume that it was because I had fallen. So I I basically um, injured my knee 
And because we were taking no breaks, I, it was just really hard for that to heal. Uh, so that was wearing on me. I also just wasn't sleeping because I was just so anxious about what lay ahead. Um, if it was something that we would be able to overcome given all the gear we didn't have. (laughs) And so it was just, it was a, a combination of things, but I mean, obviously we were still enjoying ourselves and still enjoying uh, what we were seeing. It was beautiful, of course. (laughs) So it wasn't like it was just, you know, a a cloud of depression everywhere we were going. (laughs) If we needed a break, we would have taken a break. But essentially, once we hit Northern California, there was no snow and it was incredibly hot. So after the snowstorm, I I bought um, a pair of leggings because I felt like that was what I had been lacking during the snowstorm because I I was just wearing my shorts and rain pants and I was so cold. And so I figured if I had had, at the time, if I had had um, leggings that were quick drying, maybe maybe things would have been different. So I got these leggings and then a couple of days later we were in intense heat <laughs> and I didn't use those leggings for months because it was just so, so hot. So, I mean, because of that, because we were really in um, beautiful summer weather, we just really didn't feel like we needed to stop at least for a while. But you hit Northern California and then you flipped Let's see, you flipped back up, right? I... Because you guys finished in, like, the Kennedy Meadows Tehachapi area. Yes. Okay, I see. Okay, I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to remember it now? It's a little fuzzy? (laughs) So we, um, we flipped to Ashland and went south. And then we didn't flip again until... Um, we were almost done with NorCal. The original idea was to just do the whole Northern California section and then flip back to Ashland, do up to Canada, and then just have that clean Sierra bit. Um, but again, I mean, just looking at gut hook, there were so many comments saying, you know, do not attempt (laughs) unless you have an ice axe and crampons. And we just, we couldn't get them if we wanted them, which we were sort of on the fence of whether or not we wanted them actually, or at least I was on the fence. I can't speak for Loic, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just, just cause I, I mean, I had never hiked in snow. I wasn't sure if I really even knew how how to use an ice axe. But I mean, it was just frustrating the fact that we couldn't get them regardless. Um, So yes, I am trying to remember the exact place where we flipped. It was right after Lassen National Park. And the part of the reason why we flipped there is because we exited the trail and uh, this woman rolled down her window. She was just 
parked at the trailhead and said, um, do you need a ride anywhere? (laughs) And we said, well, you know, however far you're willing to take us north, ideally we would be going back to Ashland, Oregon. And she was catching a flight from Bend. Oh no, not Bend. Um, basically right. Exactly. Right up, right from, um, the, the next town over from Ashland. So we just spent many, many hours in the car with this woman. Um, it was incredible just how that timing worked out. It's almost like she was waiting for you. Yeah. And I mean, why she was just parked at the trailhead was because she had, she was from Ohio and she had flown to I'm not entirely sure where, but somewhere in California, rented a car and then drove to Kennedy Meadows to get her son and his girlfriend who are hiking and uh, help them flip, basically. (laughs) So we were just uh, like a continuation of of that magic. (laughs) Of of the random good luck. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing that she would do that for her child. <laughs> I can't even imagine asking my, my parents to fly to California to drive me somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big ask. I mean, it worked out well for her. They, they spent time camping in Yosemite, et cetera. So she, she got everything she wanted from the trip. <laughs> Now, when you guys got back up to Ashland, I'm assuming that the snow that had been there since now it was weeks, weeks later, like that's all now cleared. Yeah. And so it's a pretty clean trip up to Washington or up to the border? No. I, all of Oregon was completely snowy. Um, So Mount Ashland looked different just you know seeing it from a distance we could really tell how much snow had melted but that still (laughs) did not mean that there is no snow in Oregon it was remarkable really there was just there was so much snow I kept saying Oregon is trying to kill me because I was just (laughs) falling all the time and slipping and it was just um so slow going because we never saw the trail. <laughs> how would how would you compare Oregon to Washington that year? Oregon is obviously very very snowy. It's usually known for being very wet. Yeah. Um, you know, moss and that kind of stuff. But it it feels like while the snow was in Oregon, the wet or wet-ish was in Washington. Yeah, so we got really lucky with Washington. We encountered a lot of what drives people crazy in Oregon. So we, it felt like the mosquitoes had just hatched and we were the only people. <laughs> you were the only blood available. Around, we, were, uh, we were the targets, or rather I was, because my, my boyfriend for some reason is immune to mosquito bites. So there were times that I was just running down the trail. Uh, I thought about quitting, but it just seemed like such a 
silly thing to do to quit a through hike because of mosquitoes. <laughs> Those little boogers can drive you crazy. Using 99% DEET. Um, I'm pretty sure I got DEET poisoning at one point um, because it's just so thick and oily and I wasn't showering for a very long time. And <laughs> so that was that checked out in terms of what people say about Oregon. It was still uh, kind of swampy, even with all of the snow. But with Washington, um, it was just absolutely gorgeous. And we were averaging, you know, 23 to 25 miles a day because there was no snow. (laughs) So it felt so much. I mean, the terrain was extremely difficult. way harder than than Oregon it was there were just these craggly rocks sometimes taller than however tall my legs are so I was like it was a lot more scrambling (laughs) Uh, but it was just sunny and the perfect temperature and gorgeous not absolutely every single day of Washington Uh, there were days that it rained but I was assured that it was, you know, two, three days of rain and then it would stop and everything would be dry. And uh, that was very, that was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one of the worst times in Washington was during uh, Goats Rock Wilderness, which is one of PCT hikers like top five moments of the trail, but it was raining the entire day. It was windy, um, really, really low visibility. And uh, there's a moment in Goat's Rock where it's called the knife's edge. And you're just on this really thin trail with sheer drops on both sides. You're walking on huge slabs of rock and I mean it's it's great because it makes this like pretty tinkling noise and, uh there the rocks are in colors like maroon and teal and it's it's pretty wow. but, <laughs> uh but they're these big slabs and so it's easy to it's easy to trip it's easy to make a step and then that whole slab just goes flying down so it was um it was really challenging that moment. And it was also just disappointing because it's supposed to be one of the most beautiful moments of the entire trail. And we could see absolutely nothing. (laughs) On one level, you miss the views, but I wonder, was it better not to know the drop off because you just couldn't see it or would it have been preferable to be able to see the drop off? I would have preferred the drop off. I'm guessing. I mean, it's, it's hard to know without an understanding of what the other option is, but I mean, I honestly just had, I still to this day don't know how scary it looks like when you can see what's down there. Maybe it's not even that far down. (laughs) Um, but what makes it a wonderful section is just the, the distant mountain views, which we couldn't see at all. But in, you know, 
classic Aliza fashion, I fell because that's just what I do, it seems. <laughs> and I remember saying to my boyfriend, like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and that just meant like, I just need this moment to end. Like, it, because when, it, when you wake up and it's raining and then you're walking for 10 hours and nothing has changed at all and you can't see anything, I was just at my wits end and just wanted to not be in that day anymore. <laughs> so we ended up um, taking a detour into town that was not, planned. Uh, we didn't really need to be in town yet, but it was um, helpful for my own sanity <laughs> to just sleep in a bed. Um, I was totally bruised and it was nice to be able to uh, take a bit of a break. <laughs> and that was when Michael, a few days after Michael had rejoined us, he, he was kind of hopping in and out. So it was obviously not necessary for him to, <laughs> to already be in a trail town, but I mean, he was always incredibly patient and like up for anything. Um, so yeah, we ended up taking an unexpected <laughs> motel day. Were there many days like that on the trail for you where you were just like, I don't want to be here anymore? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, not, I never vocalized it like that. It was, I mean, it wasn't even something that I was really thinking of ruminating over. Should I tell him I don't want to be here? Should I not? I basically was just flat on the ground and just looked up and said, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I want this to end. And then, you know, Loic like helped me get back up and, you know, reassured me that we would get into town that night, um, which just made me feel better in the moment. But there were other moments where I thought about quitting um, or just couldn't wait for whatever horror we were experiencing. Wait, couldn't wait for that to end. Uh, I mean, we would, get caught in hail on several different occasions trying to think of what else oh just if there was a lot of river crossings just wanting the day to be over <laughs> uh, wanting to be dry again um but i mean it's it, they were always leading thoughts um but i i i did strongly consider quitting and had even um formulated exit routes <laughs> just basically at every stage sort of kind of like with um what i was mentioning before with kennedy meadows just having these markers so in washington i had said to myself just get to snoqualmie snoqualmie is 45 minutes from seattle and then that's an easy exit um and then we got to snoqualmie I ate a lot of pizza and then we kept going. <laughs> you say, okay, we just need to get to Stevens Pass. Exactly. So it would basically just be making it to a marker and then at that moment deciding, is this really what I need to do right now? And it just never was. So the the adage is 
never quit on a bad day. And I, <laughs> this is so dramatic, but I remember um, saying to Loic, like, but what if every day is a bad day? <laughs> and maybe that's how I ended up not quitting. <laughs> but I mean, again, that's, that's really... I wouldn't characterize my through hike as every day was a bad, a bad day. <laughs> every day it I was didn't want to be a there. Beautiful adventure, um, full of smiles, <laughs> but <laughs> there were really hard moments in every section. Yeah. Whose idea was hiking the PCT? It was Loic's. Um, Where is he from? He is originally from Brazil, but he had known about the AT since um, his senior year of high school. And we had done a lot of hikes together. Obviously we had done a lot of hikes separately too. (laughs) And I am not entirely sure exactly what sparked the idea for him I think he had watched a video on YouTube or something maybe Darwin um Darwin on the trail I'm not I'm not positive (laughs) and so he it was something that he had been thinking of and I had already known about the PCT um from a friend who had hiked the first 200 miles and uh, I met up with her in our hometown um, after she had finished and she was telling me about how there were people who were doing this for six months and I thought that that was uh, crazy and I was asking her like who are these people who are doing this for six (laughs) months how are they doing this like what are their jobs that they can do this (laughs) And so that was the first time that I had ever really heard of a through bike. And that was, I don't know, maybe 2016. Um, so not too long ago, <laughs> but still I had known about a through hike by the time Loic in early 2018 had brought up the idea. At the time I was not really interested in that because I had just moved to London and that felt like an adventure for me. I had just started a new job three months prior. So I, I didn't feel like I was in a place to pause or to leave. Um, it was something that appealed to me. I just didn't know if if 2019 was the moment for me, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think this is fairly common given what I've learned from various media books, movies, television, but there's this assumption that when you're doing a through hike, it's to fix something that's broken. So in my mind, I figured I would eventually do the PCT after a divorce or if I was mourning um, or there was some extreme moment in my life that I needed 
healing from. <laughs> and just moving to London wasn't exactly like that dire depression <laughs> right. for me. Your life wasn't broken. Exactly. I, I mean, I was so excited to be living in London. It was something that I'd been working towards for probably a year. But, you know, by the time it was the end of that year, I was ready to, to go hike the really? PCT. I was, I was still on the fence about it for a while. I, I was mostly going from... I would say September onwards, but I, I don't know if there was ever even a moment where something had switched or me. It, it was more just nothing was steering me away. Um, but I remember I was in New York in September and took a trip to REI and was talking to one of the people who worked there and said, you know, I'm considering maybe hiking the PCT, but I just felt like I wasn't prepared enough. And I thought maybe if I waited an extra year, that would be better first because it would mean an extra year in England. And then also it would just give me time to physically just get in shape and learn more about camping. The first time that I ever set up a tent was um, July 2017 when Loic and I visited Iceland. And we were driving around and we would just park our car and then set up the tent, which is, I guess, camping, but not really backpacking. And yeah. so I was really, really new to everything that the PCT entailed. And I just honestly wasn't sure I would have enough time. So I just, you know, knowing full well that REI gives you a year to return things, <laughs> I got a tent and a backpack and I brought it all back to me, back to England with me. And then we started doing more um, overnight trips on weekends um, in the countryside. And then it wasn't until November, which is a great time to go hiking in England when the sun sets at like three o'clock. Um, we did our first through hike, so to speak, in the South Downs Way. So it's a, oh, it's a 100 mile trail. And we did that in five days. And I survived. <laughs> But then that, that in my head was what through hiking was. It was rain every single day, freezing temperatures, having to scrape snow off, off the tent every morning. Um, I also didn't bring enough food with me. I mean, I, it's, it wasn't like I ran out of food. It's just now in hindsight, every day, I definitely was operating at an extreme calorie deficiency. <laughs> So yeah, I was I was a newbie. <laughs> but it sort of prepared you for 2019 on the PCT. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I now I wouldn't change a thing. It just that that was part of my hesitation. Just mm -hmm. I felt like I was very much a city person. My idea of a vacation 
overall, like mostly basically until I met Loic was going to a city and visiting museums and looking at architecture. And I, I mean, I was always interested in hiking, but it was never at the absolute forefront of my mind where I felt like I needed to do away with everything else in my life and only hike. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, when I was in England, at first when I would travel, I would do the classic, you know, try and find the cheapest flight to anywhere in Europe. And um, it just ended up always being more hassle than it was worth. Um, And so I started to just explore England a lot more. A lot of my coworkers would joke that I know the UK better than they do, which I think is possibly true. (laughs) Um, And I loved that. And I, I mean, I love that about the PCT. I love that about any big hike. The fact that, sure, you get to know the markers on the trail. You get to see a mountain up close and personal, but then you also get to go through a town with a population of 50 and (laughs) talk to them and, and learn about their lives and then go to the next town with a population of, I don't know, a whopping 2000. Um, and we were staying with a friend of a friend in Ashland. And, um, when we were telling her about our plans to go South and we told her our next trail town, which was not that far away from Ashland. She had no idea what we were talking about. We're like, this is so close to you. What do you mean you've never been there? But yeah, these tiny towns, I mean, they're only known because they're by the trail, but I just feel really privileged that I got to go through, you know, Etna um, and Wrightwood and all these just small towns. And that was, that was my experience with England too. I, I was actually recently there this past summer. Sorry, I'm like losing my voice. (laughs) Uh, I was there this past summer and it was the same situation where we would go through impossibly small towns close to Scotland. um, And they would just be, so proud that two Americans were coming through their, their town of 500 and buying food from their market. So yeah, I, I do really enjoy that aspect of it too. You, you see places, you see towns that most people never get an opportunity to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm from New York city originally. So going from New York city to London and then straight to these tiny towns. I, I, it, I felt like I was finally seeing America for the first time and I got just a much better sense of the local town life. I mean, I hope this doesn't make me sound really, uh, you know, like every New Yorker is <laughs> like, New York city is the best place in the world. Um, but yeah, I just, I had not experienced that way of life. It it almost felt like I was on a presidential campaign, you know, like talking to farmers and, uh, 
military veterans who are retired and just wanted an easy, simple way of life. So, I mean, partially because we were literally just going from one of these towns to the next, it felt like we were in some sort of procession. Um, But yeah, it was, it was just really fascinating to talk to these people and learn more about whatever struggles they were going through, which is not usually what I would hear about on the news or reading the economist or something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a different world coming from the big city to a small town where pretty much all of the businesses are on one main street and there's, you know, some houses off of that street. Um, you know, it's maybe, you know, two, three blocks and exactly. It's a different world. Yeah. A lot of these towns looked like sets from old Western movies (laughs) and maybe they were, we were in Lone Pine and it, it is, (laughs) it was the small towns and seeing the small towns and, and such, it is such a difference. It is such a difference from that versus a city and just even the pace of life is different. Yeah. And I had never been to California before, before starting the PCT. And I had this image of California in my mind of everyone surfing and being very laid back, low key. Uh, I mean, it was just the stereotype of California. So I had an inkling that, you know, it was a stereotype and not everyone was like that, but then <laughs> going to old station <laughs> where there's no cell service in the whole town. And it's basically just a gas station and one diner. <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone legitimately lives in old station. It's just a, blew that stereotype completely out of the water. Uh, Not that I was disappointed or anything. I love Old Station. (laughs) Old Station became your favorite place on on, uh, trail. Um, uh... (laughs) That may be overstating it. (laughs) Good pancakes. (laughs) Actually, like my note here, when I literally wrote, wrote Old Station beside it, was dehydration and heat exhaustion. Oh, I love that you made a note of Old Station. I just (laughs) mentioned it. Yeah, funny story with Old Station. I was actually interviewing for a job. And um, because of just my need to feel secure, I would uh, every so often apply for a job from a trail town. And for this one... I mean, it wasn't like I had to write an actual application. I think I just emailed my resume to somebody. But I I had two interviews set up. And uh, because there's no cell service, I had to use um, the Wi-Fi that the diner has. So I was in the, the patio area of the diner. And I'd been really sick the night before, uh, just like running back and forth between the tent and the porta potty, I think it was. Um, <laughs> just throwing up. Sometimes I didn't even make it. Loic slept through the entire. <laughs> he had no idea that I ever felt sick. <laughs> 
And so right before the interview, I was just throwing up in um, the diner trash can and the waitress like came over to me with saltines and two cups of water. And I was just so grateful. And then I did one interview. I felt like it had gone well. I threw up in the trash can and then did the second interview. And then by that point, uh, Loic was awake and he was like, what is going on? <laughs> so we ended up only hiking 10 miles that day just because I was, I was feeling better by after I like had breakfast. The waitress was, was like, what can I get you to eat? <laughs> that you stay alive um but yeah I was feeling better but we still just decided to take it easy so yeah I don't really know what that was like we were discussing before perhaps it was deep poisoning um because this was in the the haze of mosquitoes um it's notorious around this place called Hat Creek Rim I believe is the name and it's just swelteringly hot <laughs> and very damp uh, perfect for mosquitoes and uh yeah i had my my deets in full force <laughs> well and it from what i mean you were saying here like you had the deet you had heat exhaustion possibly dehydration possibly like it was sort of the the witch's brew of perfect things to make you very sick. Yeah. Basically we just, we figured we would get water once we got to town and we just didn't budget things. Well, perhaps because it was so hot that we probably should have been carrying more than our usual two liters or possibly because we were going slower than usual. Um, I know that I was at at that point in our journey, I was no longer collecting water. <laughs> so um, my wonderful boyfriend would go fill up my water bladders and his water bladders because mosquito bites don't bother him <laughs> and bring them back. We'd really become like the hunter-gatherer <laughs> couple. Uh, yeah, there are so many instances of Loic just doing my water tasks for me, uh, which is very, very nice. <laughs> the, the water tasks seem to be, uh, a burden is probably the wrong word for it, but they, they seem to be that, that one, uh, chore that just didn't, uh, didn't fit with your system very well. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I feel like we've been talking about squeezing water for <laughs> for a while I don't I keep coming back to it I do love my Sawyer squeeze or my yeah my Sawyer squeeze and now I have a Cenoc bladder that I got for this most recent hike that I went on the coast to coast and that's been a real game changer because it has this really wide uh lid so you just have to scoop it doesn't matter if there's good flow or bad flow <laughs> You could get water from a stagnant pond, and uh, it was much harder when it was just the the standard mm -hmm. bottle cap opening, yeah. But really, I mean, going back to old station and dehydration, it was just, I wasn't collecting water because they were just, that was where the mosquitoes were. <laughs> 
So there was one moment when we were getting pretty close to old station and I just took um, our Mio bottles and I just squirted it right in my mouth because it was the only liquid that I had. And I don't recommend squirting straight Mio into the back of your throat. It's very salty. Uh, You're supposed to dilute it with, I think, an entire liter of water, if not more. (laughs) Yeah. That might have been a small failure. <laughs> and, and I mean, I guess it's speaking of failures, you, you made a note that at at least one point, maybe more than that, but at least one point you were feeling a little bit like a failure because you were so much slower than the guys and and that you would arrive at camp and everything would be set up for you and you just... I guess maybe didn't feel like you were pulling your weight or slowing them down or like what was going on there? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, they did not complain at all ever, but I just felt like um, perhaps I was slowing them down. Perhaps I was annoying them. And basically it just, it was almost entirely separate from them and their walking speeds it was more just they made me aware of my limitations and that was very grating (laughs) like I I mean I know so I'm 5'3 and I know that that's considered short but when I'm just walking by myself I don't think to myself about how short my legs are (laughs) but then when I'm walking next to people who are almost an entire foot taller than me. It just makes me so much more aware of what my limitations are and that, you know, there's so, so many times that I would see Loic just step over a log and keep going. It was no big deal. I don't think he even remembered that the log was there. And then for me, I would be like, my whole body would be on it. I would be like trying to like shimmy over um there was one I remember one um tree in particular um he just kind of like hopped on hopped off it was right across the trail at this big angle and I barely had gotten my body on and then I couldn't get back I couldn't get down basically because it was just too high above the trail so I tried um just taking my backpack off and trying to like throw it onto the trail, but then it slid off the trail. And so I went like running and tumbling down the trail. I mean, it was, it wasn't on down the trail. It was completely off the trail. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like screaming Loic's name. And he thought that I'd been like mauled by a bear or something. Cause I was not on the trail anymore and just like screaming. But it was just because I was much shorter than him. And in my, my, in my mind, I was just thinking, like, if I had no awareness of any of these obstacles being easier for anyone, perhaps I wouldn't feel so frustrated. <laughs> and so I think that was mostly where that feeling of um, failure was coming from. Also, I still had my knee injury um, that never went away after um that moment on Mount Ashland so I was carry I mean not carrying but I had that (laughs) physical pain um and it just only got 
more and more intense. So, I, I mean, I bring that up because you were mentioning that I would get to camp and everything would be all set up, which was great. But it also, um, I just want to point out that the fact that it was all set up was because my boyfriend was carrying my portion of the tent at that point. So it was, I yeah, I just literally wasn't carrying my weight because he, he was taking things out of my backpack and putting them in his backpack to make it easier for me. And then also it just meant that um, the timing worked out better, that they would just get to camp, set up, do whatever they needed to do. And it wasn't as much of an issue how far behind I was because I would always be able to catch up. And usually I was maybe 10 15 minutes behind them. It was never anything dramatic, but just like when you're on the trail, if you're not walking with people, you just don't see them. So, and this happened like outside of my group too, where we would just be leapfrogging with people because we would be right behind them, but we couldn't see them because it was a matter of five minutes. And it wasn't until we had, caught up that we even realized that we were so close yeah. the whole time. Uh, so that happened a lot on several occasions, but uh, yeah, it was, they were, they were really um, great about trying to help me as much as, as they could. Um, and there were times that I felt like the trail was too sketchy. I didn't want to be five minutes behind them. So I, wanted to be in front of them <laughs> and so I would be uh like limping along in front of them and they would just have to bear with me and just walk slower than usual um so there was there was a variety going on in in our journeys through Washington how did you I'm gonna use the word reconcile but how did you get right with yourself in terms of like what, what you could do, what the potential quote unquote limitations of being five foot three and you know, how that, that, cause I'm assuming that you didn't carry that feeling of failure through the whole trail or maybe, maybe you did. That's a great question. I became more and more proud of myself for hiking while injured. And I realized that, you know, I was talking to you before about how I would come up with an escape plan. And then when I was at that junction, I would decide to press forward. And being injured was just the perfect way out. I mean, I it was a, a, an excuse that so many hikers use. I mean, I say excuse like it's not valid, but it totally is valid to get off trail if you're injured. But I just didn't feel like it was an option for me. I, the moments where I thought about quitting, I, there was actually one moment that I almost quit because of the pain in my knee. We were coming out of Sierra City and uh, like Loic and I, had made like a legitimate game plan to quit 
And then I had a snack and I felt better. And I was like, no, let's keep going. (laughs) So, yeah, I just felt even though my body was basically becoming weaker and weaker, I felt stronger and stronger because of that perseverance. And that I think was how I, I overcame that. I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily failure. It was maybe more um, a sense of imposter syndrome, which perhaps is on par with failure, but it feels like a slight distinction for me because with imposter syndrome, you just feel like everyone else is doing better than you. You're a fraud. You don't belong there more than a failure, which is just an inability to (laughs) accomplish anything. So, I mean, no matter what, even if I was an hour behind the guys, I, I still don't think that qualifies as a failure, but perhaps going at such a slow pace, um, would qualify me as no longer being like a legitimate through hiker. That being said, I feel like imposter syndrome was something that I struggled with from day one. Um, sorry, what do, what do I mean about? Well, you said even if you had been an hour behind and, and like how you're defining what failure is, I guess, or what failure is not in that point. Like, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, there is no way to fail. <laughs> or actually, no, I take that back. What you were saying was that you, maybe if you had been slower and walked like a mile behind, you yeah. wouldn't have been a legitimate through hiker. And I'm, I'm interested in how you're parsing that. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about how through hiking is a battle against time. So if I were really going slowly through Washington, doing 10 miles a day, um, I just would not have made it. I mean, there are times that going through Washington, there are so few trail towns that you just legitimately cannot go 10 miles a day unless you pack, you know, 15 days worth of food, which is just uh, too, way too heavy. Um, so it was in my best interest to go 25 miles, even if I was in pain, <laughs> right. um, just so that I could carry a normal load, you know, also with the caveat that Loic was carrying my half of the tent, oftentimes was carrying a good portion of my food. Um <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a damsel in distress. It wasn't every day that Loic was carrying everything I owned. Um, it was just to get through some of the the parts of Washington that were just, um, it was just gnarly trail, um, injured or not injured. I mean, it's the type of trail that just shreds your shoes. Um, you fall, even if you're not prone to falling, like I clearly was, <laughs> But I mean, still, Washington is probably my favorite part of of the whole trail. What for you, having gone through this, having struggled through this with your knee and 
the challenges that are always going to be a through hike of the PCT and the season or the year that it was, which was challenging in and of itself. What did you take away from that experience? What did you take away for your, from your, what did you take away for yourself about yourself from that experience that you've seen manifest itself in, in your life now? The big one for me was moments on trail when I said, I can't do this. And then I did it. Um, partially because I ended up being stronger than I had assumed, but also partially because there was no other way. (laughs) So I had to do it whether I could or not, because that was the path that lay ahead. And it just was often way harder to turn around and go back because maybe I was a day away from the next trail town and then turning back, it would be, you know, five days to backtrack, which just meant that I would run out of food and it just wasn't even a possibility. (laughs) So, um, but that was just, I mean, that was a really uh, profound realization for me, just doing the things that I thought couldn't be done not even necessarily by me it's just I would look at all this snow ahead and at this uh you know there are times that I had to go downhill in snow and it was just just a sheer drop and there's so much snow that all you could see was the tops of trees and so you just had no idea what was below because of how much distance that was between the actual dirt and the actual trail So it was part of it was my own views of what I could or couldn't do. But part of it was just in general, I didn't think it could be done. Uh, And then it was done. And then we would just keep on walking. And that was another realization, I guess, just everything felt like a life or death situation. And then when it was over, like when I got to the bottom of that snowy mountain or whatever the situation was, we would just keep walking. There was no, you know, trophy at the end. (laughs) There was no like job well done. And so a lot of the times these um, really heroic feats were, uh, unrecognized I mean obviously no one is going to be <laughs> waiting at the bottle of the, at the bottom of a mountain to present you with a bottle of champagne or something but I I mean I think that's um, a really important thing to keep in mind for life in general that you can have these moments that aren't clear markers like I mean for instance not to knock anyone who gets married but you know you get married and everyone that you've ever met or known says congratulations uh people that you're close to send lavish gifts uh people fly from all over the world to come celebrate with you but then there are other successful moments that happen in your life that go completely unspoken um and so it's just important for me to realize that uh sometimes small 
successes can actually mean a lot. And then also, secondly, what I was saying before about just, um, you know, just don't doubt it. <laughs> so that that's been helpful for me. I mean, it was helpful for me when I left the trail and was applying for jobs. And I would look at job descriptions and think, I'm not sure if I am 110% qualified for this job, but I'm just going to go for it anyway and see what happens. Um, I mean, I was, con I was injured, you know, for months off the trail too. And I um, had been going to physical therapy twice a week and wasn't done <laughs> before, uh, you know, I had to start quarantining inside but then I just decided I would slowly and surely get myself back into running, even though uh, medically speaking, I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I can think of so many examples of, you know, it's kind of like the little engine that could. <laughs> you, you appreciated the challenges, but no longer thought that they were impossible for you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I forget the exact wording of your question, but I, that profound insight was really just that nothing is insurmountable. Maybe it takes more time than you would expect to accomplish whatever goal or vision you have, but slowly but surely, just like the little engine that could, you just keep chugging along, saying, to yourself, I think I can, I think I can. That sort of, it's, it's very funny that you say that, because that sort of goes with the quote that I have here on the very bottom from, I think it's from you, or maybe it's from somebody you were traveling with. Best views are on the hardest days. Yeah, that that is me. <laughs> and I I wrote that in a trail log around Carson Pass. And this was with all the flip-flopping so many people had already gone through <laughs> that that um the little trail or uh ranger hut uh but they asked me to, i forgot exactly what information was in the log but they something about like what like words of wisdom or something. Uh, and that's, that's what I wrote. Um, there were some excellent ones in there, actually, I should have taken pictures or written it down or something. But I remember flipping through and being like, wow, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Very profound. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that we should? Um, we had touched on the fact that I didn't plan at all and wasn't sure if I was ready for the trail. My boyfriend loves research. <laughs> ah, so somebody in the party did. So he, he would research, but just for himself. I explicitly told him not to tell me anything because I was steadfast about wanting wonderment and he was following all of these 2018 Instagram hikers um like twerk and a really long walk 
and he would follow along with them. They were posting updates constantly. So he knew very well what trail, what every trail town was, what was in those trail towns, um, you know, just common hiker knowledge about certain areas. And I was like hiding from it. I really just wanted to be surprised in the moment. <laughs> um, and I mean, that also meant that I try not to look at gut hook that much because I wanted to just focus on the trail. And if there was a moment on the trail where it, you could go one way or possibly another, I wanted to stop and think about what each part of the trail looked like, whether one was maybe slightly more clear uh, rather than just automatically picking up my phone and seeing what the GPS said. So, I mean, this is not necessarily advice or <laughs> any sort of recommendation, but that was how I walked into the trail. Um, and I was so nervous. I didn't sleep the night before and it just worked itself out. Anyway, I, I learned as I went, um, there were certainly things that now I would do differently. I remember um, a couple of days after we got off trail, Loic and I realized that if we, at that moment, started <laughs> the PCT, that it would most likely be much easier, a much smoother experience for us. We were the only people that we knew that didn't have boxes sent to them up the trail. And that worked out well for us in some instances because we didn't have to plan any aspect of our life around when post offices were open or closed. Um, a lot of these small towns have post offices that open from 12 to two or something like that. <laughs> and that yeah days where they're not working and it just meant that people were stuck in towns whether they wanted to or not because that was where their food was coming from um but then it also meant that there were times that we would be eating um only one flavor of cliff bar because that's what the whole store had for us <laughs> so I, again, like I, I wouldn't do anything differently, but uh, not planning at all was freeing in some ways and was uh, in some ways um, a further hurdle. <laughs> what would you do? I, I'm going to assume that you're going to do another one of some length. I know you did, the, you said the coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, the coast to coast is, uh, it sounds really extreme because it's from one shoreline in England to the other shoreline, but England is rather small. So I think it was 182 miles. So it wasn't, you know, a huge epic trip. <laughs> it took 10 days. Uh, and that was because we were taking it really, really easy. I, just didn't want to push myself at all, but probably we could have done it in less time if we really wanted to. Um, but what would you do differently with another, say, longer trail? I would, depending on the trail, I would pay 
ever so slightly more attention to weight. Um, I was adamant about not weighing my pack, not getting into the, the conversations that so many hikers would have about like, what, what brand is that? How much does it weigh? Um, you know, why, why are you using that instead of what I have? What I have is so much better. <laughs> so, I mean, there were some things that I had that were definitely very light, but I, I overpacked on clothes. I always had way more food than I needed. Um, I would sometimes have days extra food like my my boyfriend would come rolling into town with like one ramen packet (laughs) and I would have like a full bag of food because I just I felt like I always wanted to be prepared and I wanted to have extra food in case we got stuck in a pit toilet again and we're like living there (laughs) and I wanted to have extra layers because I run really cold but I, yeah, I mean, I had a tank top that I never wore that I left in Wrightwood. I had a fleece that, to be fair, I did wear sometimes, but wasn't totally necessary because I already had two long sleeve shirts. Uh, <laughs> so I left that in um, a trail town in Washington because I figured that su- it was full summer at that point. It was... Uh, mid-July. And then uh, a few weeks later, we were in the Sierra and it was so, so cold. And I regretted leaving that fleece. (laughs) I mean, it was it was cold to the point where I would be shivering at night. And my own shivers would wake me up because it would be like a a jolt. So that was... um, an unexpected experience. What else about planning? It was nice to also be just completely self-sufficient to not, to be fair. So Michael, when he wasn't hiking with us was our ultimate trail angel along with his girlfriend, Holly. Uh, And when he was hiking with us, uh, it was Holly. (laughs) So, I mean, I'd like to say that we were, 100% 100% independent, partially just because we had flown from the UK to California, where neither of us had family even remotely close by. And we didn't really know that many people outside of Michael <laughs> and Holly. So that was one aspect. One aspect was that we couldn't send ourselves boxes along the trail if we were coming from England. So some of these, uh, some of it was due to logistics and some of it was just this desire to be wholly independent. Um, we even started off with two tents because we wanted our independence, but I, I was carrying his tent because he had a one person tent and I had a two person tent and I never even took my one person tent out of my backpack. <laughs> so eventually when we got to Idlewild, I, we, we shipped it to Michael and that was the one and only time we ever shipped anything. Um, we heard about all these people shipping their micro spikes up the trail or back home or et cetera, et cetera. 
and I mean, there were times like I, I mentioned that I had, I bought leggings and then was in the, the most brutal summer. <laughs> so yeah. that was an instance where maybe I could have mailed that home. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I felt like whatever I had, I was carrying with me from Scout and Frodo's up until whenever we ended the trail <laughs> and it all worked out. It, it definitely all worked out. Maybe that's the, the biggest takeaway is that it all worked out. Yeah, I mean, and and also, one of your first questions was whether or not we had planned for a flip, and uh, the answer was basically no. Um, so, I mean, that was a lesson that I had an understanding of before even starting the trail, but was definitely uh, wholly apparent <laughs> once we started, which is, you know you can make whatever plans you want, but something is going to get in the way of it. So don't, don't be too, don't hold on to it too tightly. (laughs) Right. Don't be too hardcore about it. Right. Where can people find you? uh, If they want to follow your continued adventures, if they have any questions or. Yeah. So I have a, a hiking Instagram called PCT. She wrote, and then I, uh, I also have a, a personal Instagram that's linked. You can find that linked from PCT. She wrote, um, I also published a chapter in a book called the biggest book of yes, uh, which is basically about various adventures of people saying yes to things. Um, so for me, that was obviously, <laughs> leaving my job, leaving my home in England, leaving my visa and, um, and going to a state I had never been to before and a coast I'd never been to before. So that's, yeah, that's on, that's on Amazon. You can find more stories there. Beautiful. I didn't, I guess I didn't think about the fact because I sort of, since you decided to do the trail, I guess I sort of assumed that your job in England came to its natural conclusion and whatever, but it doesn't sound like that was the case. It, it, it ended up being the case. So everything, the timing worked out really, really well. Um, we were a- able to even, there was a, a six-month break in our, our year-long contract, our lease, I mean. Um, so we were actually able to move out right at the end of March, it was impeccable timing. (laughs) So we didn't even have to really break our lease. Uh, It just, everything was kind of coming together in this magical way. And I mean, especially given um, all the various horrors of 2020, um, I just sometimes think back on these, uh, not arguments, but I would sometimes push back against Loic and say, why don't we wait until 2020? Why does it have to be 2019? And now I'm just really grateful for his uh, carpe diem spirit, which I mean, I, I have that too. (laughs) It's I I mean, it, it definitely my reason for saying yes, and my reason to get on trail wasn't just because we had settled a discussion or anything like I had, I I found my own reasons to go basically. And I found my own 
answer to the question, why, why are we doing this in 2019? Why can't we do it in 2020? Um, so I, I mean, I'm definitely grateful to Loic for so many things, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I, I would have, um, gone in, in 2019 regardless. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's so crazy to think basically. So caveat, his rationale for doing 2019 was that the number of hikers on the trail has been increasing exponentially. And he just felt like it would be noticeable from one year to the next. Like if he could have done it in 2018, he would have, <laughs> Um, or even earlier, but I mean, even before, um, the start of 2020, Casa de Luna was shutting down, Hiker Heaven was for sale and people were really hoping that a hiker would buy it and keep the tradition going. But I, I don't, I'm not sure that maybe happened, but it's quite possible. It just didn't. <laughs> Scout and Frodo were saying that 2020 would be their last year. I'm guessing they're still going to hold to that. Um, I thought I, I thought when, when I had talked to Scout, he had said that they would push it to 2121, but who knows if 2021 is even a legitimate year at this point. So I know it's so, it's so crazy to think about. I mean, it's, it's great that Scout and Fred are giving it one extra year, but I mean, still, I just, it goes to show that all of these elements of the PCT that were so important for my adventure i they're all impermanent <laughs> one thing though yeah. i i'm always joking with with loic about this mike mike's place will will always be there when we went to what when when we went to mike's place um we were greeted by someone named uh strange bird who had a tail like a legitimate tail that was made out of fur and had its own bounce to it. And then we were later greeted by someone named Cyclops and we were like, where's Mike? <laughs> they were just like, Mike doesn't live here. So we were like, was he murdered by you? Uh, so, I mean, that the reason I bring that <laughs> up is because no matter who is there, definitely not Mike, but even if Strange Bird leaves, uh, Mike's place will <laughs> always be there in some form, uh, which I find hilarious. That was definitely one of the more ridiculous places, along with Casa de Luna, of course. It's sort of comforting to know that, that uh, it will continue to do what it does. It will be this refuge for hikers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to come, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I don't want to leave it on like a downer of, you know, all of these institutions are gone now. I, I do strongly believe that new ones will crop up. There will be another quirky couple in Northern California or... Oregon or really anywhere along the trail who just either has been letting in hikers, but not to the monumental extent as these, uh, these places, or maybe they're new or just moved there. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that the, the hiker trash culture is ever going to die. 
It's not going anywhere. <laughs> what was to kind of close the this out? What was one of your favorite memories of the trail of your experience on the trail? Um, favorite in in whatever you want to define it. Hmm. This is a hard one. What what comes to mind for you when you think of the PCT? Like that's that's a that's a favorite moment or memory. One of my favorite days on trail that really sticks out as a singular day. I I we had mentioned um, how I how much I really like the Northern Cascades. And that section still is just mind bogglingly gorgeous. And there are definitely like certain snippets of, you know, turning a, a, a switch back and seeing this most amazing epic view of, of all the mountains. But in, there's this one day um, where it just, it's so clear in my mind. And it was one of the, the first days of, of the whole hike. And we, um, we were getting into Warner Springs and Scout always says that, you know, if you get to Warner Springs, you'll finish the trail, which I'm not sure <laughs> that's true. But at the time I was like, all right, we're almost at, you know, the turning point where we can know, we can be comforted by the fact that we can do this. And it was a super bloom. So there were just uh, carpets of orange and yellow and everything was just like swaying gently in the breeze. And uh, we passed Eagle Rock. We, we did a slight detour to get to Eagle Rock, but it was definitely worth it. And that was just so cool. And it was sort of the, the first little inkling of, of that realization that there's so many facets of America that I have completely missed by being an East coaster <laughs> or especially a, like a city person. Just, I mean, Eagle Rock, just, you look at it and you're like, this is America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is on the back of my coins. I mean, probably not. They probably based it on a real Eagle. But yeah, it was just, the whole day was just so uh, perfect. I felt like everything was in sync. I was having a lot of pain. Um, I was wearing shorts that just ended up not working for me at all. I was I, horrible chafing. It like legitimately looked like I had been burned. <laughs> and that day I just like, I knew that there would be relief at the end of the day. And like, it just, everything felt like it was going to be okay. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there are few moments that are few memories that I have that elicit such a strong sense of just um, comfort and just, like calm bliss. 
Well, it sounds like there was also a, a good dose of confidence in there because you were you were making it to Warner Springs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to th- let me. S- I want to just double check something. Yeah. I. I mean, I love talking about this stuff. So <laughs> I'm happy to stay online for forever. <laughs> I think the last little thing that I want to that I want to touch on before we before we close off is. At one point, I think it was when you were in Oregon, you wrote this, what I'm going to call, I don't know if you called it this, but I've named it, A Study of Snow. Mm. And you were just describing in your post the different types and textures and and uh, hardnesses and all of snow and, and saying, why don't we have more words for snow? Mm-hmm. And did you, through that, did you come up with more words for snow? (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately not, but that would have been a really good, uh, just mental exercise as I was battling the snow itself. But I mean, there were just basically these unwritten rules amongst hikers about how to structure essentially your life around all these different kinds of snow. So, I mean, the first and perhaps most obvious is just wake up very, very early because that was when the the, the snow was hard um, because the sun hadn't go with its perfect then. It was much easier to walk on. And then, um, you know, that just was the start of many other uh, unwritten rules and maybe just learned from trials and tribulations uh, yeah. about how to best handle and make your way through all the different challenges that come with snow. Did you ever learn to love snow? Um. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there was no day that I didn't also appreciate. I I feel like so much of our conversation has been me like griping, but but, I mean, even on the the day that we got caught in a snowstorm and had to turn back and we're trapped in a pit toilet, et cetera, even then, like the reason why we even woke up and decided to keep pushing forward was because it was just so pretty. And we had all these pictures of ourselves, like enjoying the snow before it started to come down much heavier. And we were like, no longer happy or even taking pictures. So yeah, I mean, I was really in awe of how beautiful the landscape looked in snow at every moment. And there were some times that I was terrified and still (laughs) really um, in awe of what was around me. Um, Like one of my favorite moments was on Mount Tielsen and we legitimately passed a rescue crew as we were starting our, our walk um, across Tielsen. They were in the process (laughs) of rescuing other two other PCT hikers from the very same mountain. So I was a little hesitant to just ignore that giant warning sign. But 
but it just looked so beautiful. And uh, I, yeah, was filled with mostly gratitude, but also fear. (laughs) (laughs) You have, uh, what is it you say? They say you have uh, gratitude and respect. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, I think maybe I just don't talk enough about how beautiful the snow was, or how beautiful the moss in Oregon was, or the the mountains in California, the, the views that went on forever. I, I, I guess it almost feels implied that every day of the PCT was beautiful. And just like there aren't enough words for snow, there are also not enough words for all the different types of beauty that we encountered on the trail. So it's, it's hard. It's much easier to put into words the various struggles that we had (laughs) over the, the awe and wonder. It's sort of like telling stories about the struggles. It's easier for people to relate to that, I think, because they can picture themselves in the same sort of struggle or, you know, they've had the, the tough day or whatever, but it's hard to con- truly convey. I, I think standing at the top of Forester Pass and looking out and what that moment is like, like, how do you appreciate that if you've never seen it or something like it even? Yeah. And so what I would do is I would try to remember those moments, like looking out on Forester Pass and taking this mental picture. And then as soon as I got in my tent, trying to write down in as much detail as I could, everything that I had seen. And I, I think that was also why I wrote such lengthy Instagram posts. It was almost, it was basically a a trail blog um, through the format of Instagram. Um, I just, I wanted to describe everything that I found beautiful in as much detail as I could, because I felt like just saying that the view is pretty doesn't, mean anything to anybody but really describing um the way the mountains looked uh at a certain time and etc um i i think that gave people a a better sense of of what i was seeing and, and what i was experiencing and that became what you were saying before about people relating to struggles <laughs> that became um, apparent to me this past summer when Loic and I were on this, the coast to coast because, uh, I mean, it wasn't easy, but nothing really happened. <laughs> I mean, we, yes, we got caught in this monsoon level storm, but that was one night and sure I I waxed poetic about it but other than that I mean we went up and down and up and down and it was hot mostly but sometimes it was foggy and drizzling and I I just like I wrote in my journal which I 
don't have with me. But I remember basically saying something like, um, like not every adventure has to be story worthy. Like I, I, it was my way of kind of making peace with the fact that (laughs) we had technically done a through hike, but there was not much to report. Like, I, I mean, I, I am a writer and I expected to write every night on the PCT. And so I expect, I brought a journal with me on the coast to coast. And after four days, I just stopped writing because I, <laughs> I felt like nothing, there wasn't enough that I was seeing or experiencing day to day that um, was worth me taking out my pen and putting on my headlamp and just writing it all down. And I mean, I'm perhaps I'm doing the C to C in injustice. So I, I don't want to discourage people from, from hiking the trail. There were definitely some absolutely exquisite moments. Uh, but I was able to remember they stood out more. So I was able to remember them enough to then write about it after we had finished. And maybe that's just because it was 10 days <laughs> as opposed to 160. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I guess for better, for worse, the best stories come from those hard moments and the best views, like we were saying before. <laughs> notes for Elisa's episode can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. A special thanks to Elisa for sharing her stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I'll be talking with Jason Jinx Schaefer about his 2018 PCT through hike and finding his truth on the trail. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail.